You know, I, I owe a lot to church. I owe a lot to church. I've been in church since I was born, basically. And I don't know a whole lot else but church, but I owe a lot to church. I owe a lot to church people. And, um, you know, it's mostly because they're carrying around something really special. It isn't about the building. It isn't so much about the human side. It's about the stuff on the inside, the Jesus stuff. And the fact that the love that, of God that they carry is really special. It changes lives. It does things that the world can't do. There's things that the world can't offer that happen here in buildings like this and in people like you and me that change things forever. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for an opportunity to share your word today, to speak, Lord God, and most importantly, an opportunity for you to speak by your Holy Spirit into every heart and to every ear here today. Lord God, I ask that you open eyes and open ears and open hearts today to know you, to understand, to have revelation. Lord God, it doesn't matter what I say, but if you want to speak into someone's life today, I ask that they're able to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Well, since I've been here at Resurrection Life Church, I've uh, learned a lot of discipline, and I have more to learn, <laughs> and there's a lot, a lot of good reasons for learning discipline. Some of it's just because you're getting older, you have more responsibilities, you know, I have uh, four more kids than when I came here. <laughs> we only had one when we started, now we have five, and um, that's a, a, a big job <laughs> for, for Emily and for me. Amen. And also for, um, you know, my, my function here and ministry role and, and, and job, if you want to call it that, as a minister on staff, you know, there's just a lot of maturing that has to take place, a lot of disciplines that have to take place in someone's life to be able to meet the call of God. Amen. So uh, discipline is something that is really stretching. And, um, but thank God for a church that gave room to someone like me to learn discipline and to be stretched. Because without the room, without the patience, without a disciple-making church, it wouldn't happen. Because all we'd be doing is singing songs and reading verses. So thank you. Pastor Rick said he saw things in me that I never imagined I'd ever be doing. He did. And I didn't. <laughs> but here we are today. And Res Life is truly a people that will help you and me live the life you were born to live. Now, it takes some work on your own side, right? I had to submit. I had to show up, <laughs> had to not quit, 
But if you don't, like Pastor Brick preached last week, don't quit. Then there's room for you here to grow and live the life you were born to live at Resurrection Life Church. Now, I spent 28 years under Dr. Barclay at Living Word Church in Midland. And between my devoted parents and his no-nonsense preaching, I learned a lot of things. I learned about Christian service and about faith and about honor. And I'm very grateful for those things. But it seems that God had a plan for me to come here. I wasn't even emotional to sit up here. This is not an emotional story. God had a plan for for me here to come and have a deeper discipline that was needed for the calling on my life. Mm. When Emily and I came here in 2012, I had basically plateaued spiritually. I had been growing up in church and doing church things and gone to Bible school and, you know, learn to pray and, and uh, serve. But God had more plans for me. And um, I was really content working in the background. I was really content serving. I was really content just helping God's people serving in the local church. But apparently there was some more things God wanted me to do, and he wanted some stretching to take place. And since Resurrection Life Church is this disciple-making church, this happened to be the place where I landed. So Pastor Rick and Diane, they saw potential in me, and they stepped out in faith and extended an opportunity for me to grow and it helped that I was their son-in-law because I had some push. <laughs> they had some, there was some leverage, you know. And they opened the door really wide, probably wider than they should have. You know, I had, I had a lot of grace uh, to, to move and, and breathe and do things, but I'm grateful for it. And I'm hoping I didn't take advantage of it you know, in a negative way. And since I've been here, I've been stretched further than I ever thought I could be. <laughs> I know it's not over yet, but wow. <laughs> and, you know, I've celebrated some of the greatest joys of my entire life since I've been here, too. Having children and my beautiful wife and the accomplishments we've, we've had together and the blessings of God since we've been here. And the, the wonderful things we've seen in ministry and, and all the teenagers who got saved and are serving God. Sitting on the front row and stuff. <laughs> Lots of wonderful things in life. But also in the last seven years I've faced some of the, whew, the hardest battles. some dark and lonely times that should have ended my journey. Oh, man, 
so many days you just want to throw in the towel and say, can I just go back to Midland? (laughs) But I didn't quit. And no one kicked me out. (laughs) I'm still here. (laughs) Because this is a, a church that gives people opportunities. Doesn't just pull the rug out. Amen. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to continue to serve the Lord and this church today. Amen. All right, so number one on your sheet. I know I didn't read any verses there, but whew, lots of tears. Is How has Resurrection Life Church helped you to live the life you were born to live? I should have named this message five questions. But like I said before, in regards to this church and to Christian people, it all gets back to the love of God and the fact that without it, none of this would even matter. So how has the love of God at Resurrection Life Church helped you to live the life you were born to live? I'm glad I wrote this stuff down because I, I don't think I'd be able to say it otherwise. Ministry is hard work and it often seems endless. And I'm sad to say that there are many days when I feel overwhelmed and bi- with the busyness of life. Walking around burden is no way for a Christian to live. And I have lots of excuses. I could blame it on, I could blame this shortness of spiritual breath on five kids or a seemingly en- endless ministry schedule I wasn't talking about you baby (laughs) sometimes I have to search for the motivation to go on and and this is that's a sad thing and I'm I'm just being real with you today but I'm always led back to the fundamental reason for my existence. That's to serve God. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why we're breathing. Every excuse is trying to take me out of God's will. And these fleshly sidetracks take the glory away from God. As you know, when you step up into the position God has for you, it gives God glory. It's his will. It's when we step back. It's when we walk away. It's when we walk in the flesh. It's when we live in our own mind instead of Christ's mind that we take away God's glory. And I want God to have all the glory. Jesus wasn't sent to earth so I could walk around burdened or distant from the Father. We're supposed to be close. Jesus died so we could be close to the Father in his loving arms, experiencing the power of his genuine love. Without the genuine love of God, our lives are simply principles and morals. You can read the Bible inside and out, front and back, 
you can put the work, those things to work, but without this deep relationship with God, you won't experience his genuine love. And although preaching didn't come naturally to me, God used my willingness to preach as a catalyst to learn discipline. And thank God for a place to do it. Now, discipline, that's a word that makes part of me cringe, as I imagine some of you. But there's another part of me on the inside that loves it. This part of me knows that discipline will lead me closer to Jesus. And that's where I want to be. So number two on your paper, what kind of stretching has God led you through to learn discipline? Now, I I wrote these down, these questions, and I was thinking about your life group. And if you're not part of a life group, maybe this week find another human who loves Jesus and, or maybe not, and share some of these things with them as God reveals to you and brings to your remembrance some of these things that he's done in your life through Resurrection Life Church, through this stretching to learn discipline. Emily and I have been here for seven years this month. It went by pretty fast. And then seven years before that, or 14 years ago, when I was a single man, a friend and I started a business. And the business was doing really well. We were buying imported goods and selling them at various online platforms like Overstock.com. I had big plans for my business. And... uh, me and my business partner, we met with the church leaders over there in Midland, and we laid out the business plan, and we, we told them what our intent was to fund the ministry of the gospel. And for the first year, we made more money than I had ever seen, um, more than I'd ever earned my entire life at 24 years old. And I was making plans. I was dreaming big. I was thinking about traveling the world. I was thinking about funding ministry. I was thinking about, you know, getting married and, and having a life and, and um, being able to, to do the things I wanted to do. And then one day, uh, my business partner told me that he was going to be receiving some checks from an offshore company who wanted us to process some payments for their, on, their U.S. customers and then wire them the checks once they cleared. And uh, this would, we would make a percentage of each payment for our service. Everybody say, uh-oh. <laughs> now, at the time, we were, we were wiring money overseas every month to pay for shipping containers and product samples, so it didn't seem fishy, per se, or too good to be true, offering a, a service for a, a period of time. But after a couple of weeks of receiving payments and clearing checks at the bank, I was on a trip to China, and I was over there for the Canton Fair in Guangzhou, and um, when I got back to my hotel room, there was a message waiting for me, and I had, a, I had to call back someone in Michigan, and that was the sheriff. Whoa. So I called the sheriff, and um, they explained that the checks that we had been depositing were fraudulent, and that the money in my account was being frozen while I was in China. And they were awaiting my return to ask me some questions. Whew. Man, it's been 14 years. I'm, 
I'm doing really good. Now, I can't tell you how bad that looked. That um, our company had been receiving checks that were sent from accounts that were set up by identity thieves. And they had been wiring money, and we had been wiring that money to offshore accounts in Asia. And it just so happened that I was in China at that time. Let's try to explain that to a sheriff. So I went home a week later and um, met with the authorities. And they asked me to send them every communication that I had had with these identity thieves. And um, once I turned over my 33,000 emails, I was told that the case would be handed over to the FBI. Oh my gosh. So an FBI case officer called me and asked me to come in to the local branch for questioning. This is getting intense. Got to imagine I was um, dealing with some serious fear at this moment. So I went in without counsel, by the way, um, and two investigators grilled me for three hours straight. They broke me down layer by layer, and I told them everything. And they told me two things. Number one, find a way to pay back the bank. Number two, there could be further legal action taken against me or my company. And that was it. And they let me go. So let me lay this out for you. In one week, I went from having a successful business with money in the bank, traveling overseas, doing business, to all my accounts being frozen, so I couldn't order goods or sell. And I was now to repay the bank somewhere between eighty dollars and $160,000 because of fraudulent activity. And to top it all off, I might go to prison. It was a rough place to be. So my dreams all died that week. And I had a very real fear come over me. And I had keys to the church, and I would often go there and, and, and um, sneak in and use the altar space. It's a pretty nice thing to have keys to the church. And one late night, I, I crawled in there and, and cried out for help because I didn't know what to do. And there was this heaviness looming on top of me. What was going to happen? Was my future over? So I went and saw my pastor, and um, he graciously directed me to a lawyer in town and said to let him know he referred me. So I went to see this lawyer, and I told him my situation and the FBI and the money and all the things. And After reviewing it, he turned to me and he said the most profound thing. He said, go home and live your life. <laughs> There's nothing else you need to do, and you shouldn't hear from the FBI or the bank again. And uh, that was the burden lifter. It was pretty cool. 
so I went home and started picking up the pieces. And you know what? The FBI never called me again. And the banks cleared my accounts and closed them. And I didn't have to pay any of that money back. Amen. <laughs> so in less than an hour, I went from my life is over to go home and live your life. You know, the lawyer, he knew the truth. He knew the truth about the situation. He knew what the FBI was looking for. He knew what the bank would require of me. Even, and even better than that, he told me those very profound words, go home and live your life. My lawyer's words reminded me of something Jesus said in the book of John chapter 8. So please turn there with me. Now you might be asking yourself, isn't this the guy who has stewardship over the finances of the church? (laughs) It's been 14 years. (laughs) All right. Starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now he spent a lot of time up there, didn't he? Praying to God, spending time with the Father. Something we should all be doing. And I like this next part. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. Does that mean he was translated? (laughs) Like, how did he get there? Wait, I know he walked there, but... Where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, pause. Isn't that just the way it is? That the enemy comes in to try and knock you off course the second you're supposed to be doing the thing you're supposed to be doing? Unpause. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In Moses' law, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now what shall we do? They were using these questions as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger, and they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. (laughs) So I had my, my moment like that 14 years ago. And although my lawyer didn't say go and sin no more, but I took it that way. And uh, the freedom that that woman must have felt in the arms of love and in Jesus' love that day, forgiving of her of all those sin and saying, look, there's no one here to accuse you anymore. Go and sin no more. Mm. The lawyer was like Jesus. He knew the truth. 
No one was condemning me. He told me to go and live my life, just like Jesus told the woman caught in adultery to go and leave her life of sin. Number three on your handout, what has God saved you from? In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. How do I get this light? Through believing in Jesus. This is something we talked about in our discipleship class. A believer is one who follows closely and adheres to the teachings of Jesus Christ. How do we get this light? By following Jesus closely and adhering to his teaching, obeying him and his commandments. In those moments when I struggle to be motivated or my spiritual ears are plugged, they're a sign that I am stepping back from my pursuit of Jesus and his teachings. Matthew 13, 15 says, For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed eyes, so they, their, their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. You know, in those moments when your eyes are closed and your ears are plugged up because you're not close, you're not in the light of Christ, those are the moments when you find it hard to recall the truth about the Word of God, the things that you've been taught. It makes it easier to step even further away because things don't seem as black and white anymore. Even though I've been forgiven much and sent home to sin no more, I choose to follow the flesh instead of making the effort to press into the mind of Christ. Make the effort to press into the mind of Christ, to get into the light of God, to get under his blood, to get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. And we've been reading a book uh, in our discipleship class, and it's talking about how it, it could take 15 minutes or more for you to break through the natural things of your mind, to get your mind to submit to the presence of God, to open up enough to allow God's light to to shine inside, to get the mind of Christ. You have to press in. You have to push. You have to work. It has to to take some effort because it isn't a natural thing to be supernatural. Now, as a Christian, we're supposed to be supernatural, but we have to get past the natural to get there. And once you do, it's easier. But you have to press in. You have to Search and seek for the mind of Christ. Amen? Now the testimony of I have as a witness of the genuine love of Christ is powerful. And You, your testimony of the genuine love of Christ is powerful. But if I don't follow Christ and obey his teachings, then I will walk in darkness. And the enemy will blind me and dull my hearing. My spiritual reflexes will be slowed as my own sin makes me stupid. James 1.14, we're all familiar with this. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then the desire, then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When we stop following the light of the world, Jesus Christ, 
then we walk into darkness. In darkness, desire gives birth to sin. I think that probably explains a lot about the way many Christians live. They aren't close to God. And when they're enticed by temptation, it's all over because they don't have Jesus' blood to help them walk out of it. Sin separates you from God. As a believer, it's important that we follow Jesus and obey his teachings. Amen? Amen. Amen. Salvation and moments of repentance lead us back to God. But it is the daily, it's the daily following of Jesus that keeps us in the light and under his blood. Amen? 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is the light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship one with, the other, with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Number four on your handout, what has helped you stay close to Jesus and follow him? I have one more story I want to read you today. It's not my story. It took place back in 1933. There's a big difference between implementing biblical principles and having an intimate relationship with Jesus. Amen? In 1933, James Penny Cash, or excuse me, Cash Penny, (laughs) arrived in Battle Creek, Michigan on a business convention. The discouraged businessman was indeed fighting a battle that day. He did not realize it, but it was a spiritual battle. At the time, over 1,000 retail department stores all across the nation had his name emblazed above the door. J.C. Penny was a name that had become almost as well-known as the President of the United States. Yet the Great Depression had all but left Mr. Penny destitute. James, the son of a Protestant minister, had built his company on the principles of the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. His father taught him this as a child, although he, had, he, knew, he knew the success he had found through the scriptural principle, he had never taken the steps to know the Lord himself. When he stood at noon to speak at the luncheon at the Penny's store in Battle Creek, he was so sick he could hardly finish his speech. The physicians, a physician friend at the meeting examined him at the clinic afterward. Mr. Penny had an acute case of shingles, perhaps prolonged by bitterness, The doctor had him admitted to the hospital and told him to cancel the rest of his trip. The famous merchant was too exhausted to to protest. Within a few days, he was better physically, but had become even more depressed. One night, he took a sedative to help him sleep, but only an hour later, he awoke with the overwhelming sensation that he was about to die. He got up, wrote letters to his wife and children, 
Then when he got back to sleep, he was convinced that he was going to die during the night. Early the next morning, he awoke up surprised that he was still alive. He rose, dressed, and went downstairs to have breakfast. He soon discovered that the cafeteria was not yet open. And he stood in the deserted corridor with a deep sense of loneliness washing over him. Then he heard singing in the early morning stillness. He was barely able to make out the words of the familiar hymn, Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. Drawn by the love expressed in the music, Mr. Penny began to walk towards the music. Soon he found himself outside the doors of the hospital chapel. He slipped into the room and sank down in the seat in the back. The music continued. No matter what may test, lean, weary one upon his breast, God will take care of you. Someone quietly read, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and, I will and you will find rest unto your souls. Matthew 11. Silently, the man in the back pew groaned a prayer, Lord, I can do nothing. Will you take care of me? With those words, he expressed his desire to no longer rely on himself, but trust in Jesus for his salvation. He sensed an immediate change. It was as if a great weight had been taken and lifted from his spirit. He felt that he was walking out of darkness into light. That day, James learned the difference between the selfish love he had practiced in the mutual beneficial golden rule and the real power of genuine love in Jesus Christ. Even though he was one of the most successful businessmen during the first half of the 20th century, his life would have ended in failure if he had not encountered the power of genuine love found in Jesus Christ. Number five on your handout. Have you ever experienced the genuine love of Jesus? Jonathan, you want to come up? I like that story about Mr. Penny. It's sad that he could have known Jesus all those years. His father being a pastor when he was a young boy. But without Christ, he carried around resentment and bitterness. Without the love of God in his life, he treated love like a mutual beneficial thing. But because of the love of Christ, his soul was saved. His life was turned around. His business was saved. And he was able to help others around him. He went on to teach Christian business people about Jesus' love. It's a wonderful thing. Bow your heads with me as we close things out today.
Now, I'm, I'm going to be praying that God helps everyone here remember as they read these five questions and review them at life group and at home, maybe around the dinner table or with a close friend or family member, to remember your story, to remember the things that God did for you here at Resurrection Life Church and the ways he helped you stretch and become who you are today in him, the things that he saved you and set you free from, the sins that he washed away. And then talk about just this wonderful thing that happened to you when you encountered the love of God. The love of God isn't something the world can ever give us. It has to come through Jesus Christ. It's often expressed through Christian man or woman. Our stories, our testimonies, our witnesses, they help us save ourselves because they keep us close to Jesus. We are saved and washed clean by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony and witness of His great power and love in our life. Now, if you're here today and you don't know the love of God, you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ. You've never made him your Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation. And you too can choose to receive Jesus and experience his perfect love in your life. Now, you don't deserve it. None of us did. But Jesus gave us a free will gift when he went to the cross and bore all our sin and all our pain and all our suffering and chose to give us eternal life through his covenant and his blood. And as you choose Jesus, as you pray that prayer and say, Lord, become my Savior, be my Lord, forgive me. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you. I want to be in your light. I don't want to live the way I have anymore. In those prayers, in those moments, you're accepting and receiving what Jesus did for you, the gift that God gave to make a way for you to have eternal life, to make a way for you to live in this world with faith, experience the love of Jesus Christ, and also the opportunity to share it with others. Freely you have received freely you give. So if that's you today and you want to receive Jesus or turn your life over to him, lift up a hand so I know if I, who I'm praying with. I don't see any hands. I'm just going to pray a prayer over everybody then. If it bears witness with your heart, then receive it today by faith. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us. We're so grateful that even in the midst of adultery and, and sin and being lost, in the midst of darkness, 
you were right there. Forgiving. Setting free. There's no one here with stones anymore. You brought life. You've sent us on our way to sin no more. Lord God, I just ask right now that each of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb would be drawn closer to you. Drawn closer to your presence. Drawn closer to your love. And walk in your light, Lord God, like we never have before. To obey you and follow you completely. To abide and adhere to your teaching, Lord. Lord God, we have a lot of work to do. Discipling people and and giving room for people to live the life they were born to live. We need to be focused not demotivated, not distracted, not full of excuses, but prophesying, speaking words of life into people around us, sharing the stories of the wonderful things you've done for us and through us. Oh, I love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. Jesus' name. Amen.